0: What up, HyperChange? Welcome to HyperChat number seven. I'm here at Betaworks in the West Village with Sam Corris, who is an analyst from ARC Investments. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes,
0: yeah, so we have a ton of exciting stuff to cover today. You, uh, per my understanding, work for ARC mainly focused on researching batteries, electric vehicles, so uh, tons of Tesla stuff to get to. Um, but before we get to that, I was wondering if we could get a quick intro on your background and, and what brought you to uh, working at ARC and researching this space.
1: Sure. Um, so yeah, so at Arc, I focus on batteries, electric vehicles, also automation and robotics, um, alternative energy and space exploration. Uh, so it definitely Ooh. touches a lot of areas where uh, Musk is active. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but definitely exciting areas in general. My background is I studied cognitive science um, at the University of Pennsylvania. And so the area that I really focused in on was computation and cognition. Uh, And so really loved researching, staying on the cutting edge uh, and, you know, looking for job opportunity, came across Arc uh, and really couldn't ask for a better fit of, you know, doing original research and then loved the open source uh, ethos of it where, Mm -hmm. you know, we're putting out the information, love to get feedback. um, And so, yes, that's how I wound up there.
0: And have you uh, personally, are you an investor yourself or were you much of an investor or did you come at this more from the technology side?
1: Uh, Really came at it from the technology side Uh, and then, you know, learned the investing side from Kathy Wood, who's the CEO, CIO, um, our director of research as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So and I think that's true for, you know, maybe not everyone at Arc, but a lot of people at Arc have uh, industry expertise in the area where they're working and covering, uh, which is definitely very unique and, you know, good to have.
0: Yeah, I think that's like one of the problems of most of the analyst situations that they're all finance people. None of them are experts in what they're actually covering. And that's kind of like a huge disconnect. Um, Maybe what we're seeing with Tesla, maybe not, but... Um, But anyway, one of the main things that you actually brought up just when we were talking just now is something called Wright's law, which I think is a great way to frame the conversation we're going to have today, um, which is essentially this theory that the more resources that get put into manufacturing of something, the cheaper it will become and through the lens of electric vehicles and batteries and then becoming cost competitive with the internal combustion engine. Uh, So maybe could you give us just a brief rundown of of Wright's law, because I know you're going to have a better uh, definition than me.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think this goes to the whole kind of EV debate that's out there is really how how many EVs are going to be sold, mm-hmm. uh, and I think you know a lot of people disagree on that, uh, and you know if you come to an understanding on that point, then I think a lot of people's different opinions start to make more sense, uh, and so the way that we've constructed our research is based on Wright's law, which is a cost decline model, uh, and so what it is for every cumulative doubling of production you get a certain percent cost decline. Uh, and so for electric vehicles, the single biggest component of an electric vehicle, uh, as far as cost goes, is the battery. So we're looking at kilowatt hours produced. And so that's what's on the x-axis. Uh, and so, you know, if you're looking over time, how many kilowatt hours are produced, you get a 18% roughly uh, cost decline for every cumulative doubling in production. Wow. Uh, And so the interesting thing with this is that, you know, on that basis, very consistent throughout history. Uh, But if you look on the x-axis and you're just measuring time instead, uh, the curve is not nearly as smooth. And so what happened with that is, you know, if you go back to 2015 and you look at OPEC or the EIA, the Energy Information Administration, and you look at what they're forecasting for EV sales in the early 2020s, uh, they were saying there was going to be 100 to 200,000 EVs sold globally wow, in the early 2020s, uh-huh. right? So this is crazy. Um, one, Jay, you know, for context, I'm sure everyone's listening is an EV fan, but in 2018, there was uh, just below 1.5 million EVs sold, wow, right? So totally off the mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've upped their uh, forecast now to roughly 4 to 4.5 million Um for 2023 arc still wow. thinks there's going to be 16 million and or is that, sorry 26 million yeah and i've seen that number yeah. that's
0: not 26 sold in that year that's like total cumulative sales that's sold okay. in that year no way yeah i mean how many of these because i know a lot of the growth in electric vehicles is from china right like mm. 1.2 million of that 1.5 million you mentioned or maybe like something like that but a lot of them are smaller more compact not something we is is that right or
1: well so the interesting thing. Uh, is that so that 1.5 million number Mm -hmm. is mostly cars that we would consider cars. Wow. Uh, Then there's an additional almost a doubling of cars that we would not consider cars. And these cars are micro cars. Uh, You don't need a driver's license to drive them in China. They're not using lithium ion batteries. A lot of them use lead acid batteries. Hmm. Um, Right. And so these cars are extraordinarily uh, inexpensive and they're not really tracked by anyone because there is very little regulation around them. Um, So if you're counting those, then it totally changes the statistics. So when we're looking at it, we're really considering, you know, what what you and I would consider a battery electric vehicle. Wow.
0: And so to get that number right, 26 million EVs sold globally in the year 2023. That's right. Okay. Wow. And there's about 90 million cars sold each year. So that's like over a quarter, I guess. Yep. And so,
1: right. So then the way we're looking at it and modeling it, Uh, you have this battery cost decline. Mm -hmm. We think that in the early 2020s, you're going to have a electric vehicle be sticker price competitive with a like for like gas powered car. Yeah. And right. So the thing that I always say is, you know, you come to a dealership and I say, you know, do you want this car that, you know, goes zero to 60 faster? You don't have as much maintenance costs. You know, insurance is cheaper. Uh, or do you want this gas-powered car that costs more, and you're going to have to go to the gas station once a week to fill it up? Mm-hmm. You know, w- what do you choose as the end consumer?
0: Yeah, it's an, an but but I almost think it, people don't give the end consumer enough credit for already factoring in those things like fuel and maintenance savings, uh, which is something that you put out some research, I believe, which like the Model Three, like the, the Toyota Camry, what does it cost? Twenty four, twenty five grand versus a forty thousand Model Three. So the sticker price is very different, but the total cost of ownership is much more similar when you factor in these savings. And I thought one interesting tidbit from the shareholder meeting was that 63% of Model 3 purchases were turning in non-premium cars. So I think, you know, this whole theory of like, oh, when the sticker price changes, that's when the inflection point will happen. I actually think it's already kind of happening because it's the biggest purchase consumers are making and they're really putting in the research. And I think that's part of like we're seeing that in the data. So I'm curious if you could comment on, you know, what kind of numbers are you getting to and and how do you get that that total cost of ownership comparison?
1: Sure. So when we're looking at total cost of ownership, really, you're just factoring in all the costs. So, you know, the big costs are the cost of the vehicle and depreciation. Um, you have the insurance costs, you have the maintenance costs. Uh, and I think a really interesting component is the resale value, right? So this comes into the depreciation factor. Oh, yeah. and you know, so we're taking Kelly Blue Books estimates, uh, and they have the model three retaining a huge amount of value. And that's been true for Tesla vehicles over time. They typically retain value better than their gas-powered counterparts.
0: Is that just because there's a supply issue where people just want a Tesla and there's not that many of them, or is there something inherently about the product and the technology that's leading to that?
1: Uh, so I think it's actually probably a bit of both. So definitely, I think, supply-constrained, and that's contributing to it. Um, but then another thing you know that we've done research on is looking at, you know, what's the residual value of a battery pack? Uh, mm, and you can okay. cut this in a number of different ways. A lot of companies out there uh, I think BMW, Nissan are repurposing batteries for stationary energy storage. Yeah. Uh, and so we've put out research on that saying, you know, if you're going to sell this battery from a Model S into a capacity market, it could be worth more than an entire, you know, internal combustion engine vehicle over its lifespan. Uh, but then you also have, you know, we, we've we discussed this with other people and um You know, once recycling becomes more efficient for battery packs uh, instead of putting it into stationary energy storage, it might be more economic to actually recycle the raw materials, put it into a higher energy density pack uh, and then sell that again. Um, So I think those two things are really coming into play Uh, and also just, you know, less wear and tear. A lot of maintenance has to go into an internal combustion engine uh, to keep it running. You know i think tesla's really proving out that this electric drivetrain is pretty robust
0: yeah and actually i, I want to get sidetracked for a second because the second life battery thing is really interesting um because first little stories i was in detroit last week at rivian and they were telling me about this new partnership where they're recycling their all their second life batteries giving them to puerto rico i believe for like one project but they were talking about how that's going to be a big piece of their business, which I thought was interesting. And, and the other thing is I was at Monroe and Associates where they tore down the Model 3 and they were saying how hard it was to get rid of the Model 3 battery pack and actually replace it. Um, Elon Musk tweeted something that said this was wrong. But I'm curious, like, you know, does your research show they can replace the Model 3 battery pack easily or recycle it and I look at Tesla as a very unique leadership position here because they put so many more BEVs on the road than anyone else that they're going to be the first real one to have this problem or opportunity with all these second-hand uh, battery packs. So I kind of wonder, you know, what, what's how easy is it for them to really make use of them and what's Tesla's game plan going to be?
1: Yeah, so I think recycling is going to ramp up uh, because just as you said, really no volume amount of EVs has reached its end of life. Uh, And so when Mm -hmm. I was at the Gigafactory originally, um, they actually were showing and they are like, oh, this area is a recycling area, but it's not online yet. Uh, And so their original plan for recycling was that they were going to recycle cells that failed quality assurance uh, at the end of the production line. And so, right, so when you're making battery cells, you know, yield's not 100%. Mm And so it's probably in the 95 to higher percent, but you're still losing a small percentage of cells. And what they want to be able to do is say, OK, these cells failed. Let's just put them back at the start of the process, get the raw materials and start it back. Um, and so I think that's probably initially where they're starting mm-hmm. all of their recycling efforts. Um, but I imagine, you know, similar to the way that one of Apple's big uh, recycling programs that they highlighted, I think this was probably just two years ago. And they're like, look at how much money we are saving because of the tiny amounts of gold that we're pulling from, you know, all of these uh, iPhones. Wow. Uh, And so I do think that they're going to keep that in mind because it's obviously going to be a huge amount of value that they can extract from old vehicles. And uh,
0: J.B. Straubel actually has a a startup called Redwood Materials he's involved with Mm -hmm. that appears to be securing, I don't know if this is right, securing land in Nevada or something very close to the Gigafactory with the goal of recycling batteries. There's almost nothing out there on this company. But do you have any insight on that? Because I thought that was really something curious is happening there.
1: Yeah, I think I only have as much as you have. It was a filing and then, you know, some people highlighted it. And I think it's kind of been forgotten from uh, the public public mind. But I think, you know, it's definitely possible. JB Straubel is definitely the expert with batteries uh, at Tesla. So I think there's some potential there.
0: Yeah, I feel like that name, Redwood Material, is going to pop back up at yeah, some point. <laughs> yeah. um, but actually, one other thing you touched on was the insurance, um, which I briefly wanted to talk about because I'm, I, I've am never owned a car myself or bought a car. I live in New York, so I haven't gone through the process of getting my own auto insurance. So I feel a little bit out of my depth here. But Tesla, at a high level, is, is planning to launch an insurance product. You have cars going more autonomous. You know, Tesla's software connected car, they're getting so m- orders of magnitude more data than any insurance companies had before. So it seems like there's a huge opportunity here. So I'm wondering if you could just give us your thoughts on, you know, what's Tesla planning there? What's the opportunity?
1: Sure. So I think what Tesla's seeing right now is that their cars are being uh, mispriced in the insurance field, right? They're the safest car on the road. Um, I think insurance agencies are dinging them. And this is, we have an analyst, uh, Nick Bruce who's doing work on the insurance side of Tesla as well. Okay. Um, and so, the, right, so they're getting dinged because they're electric vehicles. And as an insurance company, you know, EVs haven't been around that long. So you don't have that real world data of, you know, this battery pack, how much does it actually cost to replace? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're actually getting mispriced based on that fact alone, while, in reality, these are safer cars. You have Sentry Mode and cameras all around. Where you know a lot of accidents are never reported, right? They're hit and run or something along those lines—a fender bender—and you know someone drives off. Now all of a sudden, Tesla has you know the license plate of the person who hit you, and that person can now be tracked down and charged. And you have the camera data. It's no longer a he said she said uh, type of wow. story, right? So you have that aspect of it. You have autopilot, which is consistently improving and reducing the number of accidents. Um, So I think, you know, they really do have a ton of data and all of this other stuff going for them where, you know, they actually have the real world data for how their battery packs, you know, degrade over time, uh, what it costs them to replace it. And so I think they're going to be able to come out with a very competitive offering that pretty much anyone with a Tesla is going to sign up for.
0: And it, do you think this actually generates revenue for the company or is it more just we're going to make our vehicles even more attractive for purchasing?
1: Um, I think it could be a slight revenue gain. I mean, I don't think this is going to be the you know, massive growth driver uh, for Tesla, but I think it's another one of those things where it becomes a no brainer uh, even more so to do this
0: hmm. And um, so I guess going back to the battery cells, one thing that I'm really fascinated by is uh, Tesla basically repurposed the cell phone laptop battery lithium ion battery and then just scaled it up to a crazy level to put it in electric cars. So it's kind of J.B. Straubel's work. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a very unique and new type of battery. And it seems like one of the biggest misunderstandings of the growth story is that Tesla's biggest constraint has been the supply of these battery pack cells that's driving you know, a bunch of product decisions from not doing the semi from dropping off the long range model three because they would rather if they're going to sell a bigger pack upsell it to the all wheel drive. Like there's all these um, and they've mentioned that they need to scale scale battery cell production. That's like their biggest bottleneck right now at the shareholder meeting. So I guess I'm curious, you know, what you, how do you see this playing out? Because I guess it's kind of a loaded question because there's so much Panasonic Maxwell. Right. But um, how do you think Tesla is solving or approaching that battery cell problem?
1: Uh, so I'd say, you know. Tesla, and then also just broader EV market. If you're serious about electric vehicles, uh, look at who's building these factories, right? You know, you have a lot of automakers out there who said, Yeah, we're going to do electric and this and that. And, you know, don't back it up with Oh, and this is how we're gonna make the actual battery packs. Mm -hmm. Right? That's an important piece. You have, you know, company like VW who after dieselgate, they're like, Oh, we need to change the topic. And they're like, investing in northvolt which is a battery pack uh company Hmm. um they've you know put out close to 50 billion dollars worth of contracts for uh ev cells uh i think tesla in particular you know you look back i think this was in 2016 uh where they said to some lithium small lithium companies they're like if you can (laughs) if you can actually prove that your lithium business is viable we'll acquire you um Needless to say, that didn't pan out because, you know, a lot of small lithium companies wind up failing as they try and produce uh, or reach scale. Uh, But I think, you know, they're very serious about trying to vertically integrate, you know, from mining all the way through vehicle production.
0: So that wasn't he said that at the shareholder meeting, mining,
1: we might get that wasn't a joke, you think? Yeah, no, I don't (laughs) think that's a joke because, you know, he had put out these offers before to these small lithium companies. Um, So I think they are serious about it. Um, You know, there are tales of verticalization gone wrong in the past, but I think, you know, Tesla's proven over time that, you know, they've been able to really leverage verticalization to better products for cheaper prices.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, And I guess now I kind of want to dive into the Panasonic thing, because Mm -hmm. this is like at the forefront of my mind is it seems like the tensions between Tesla and Panasonic are kind of rising, and it has something to do with the line wanting to hit 35 gigawatt hours uh, of cell production, but it's not. It was at like 24, and it's just reading in between the lines from comments on Musk. It seems like he's frustrated about that, and that's caused Tesla to either look for a different supplier, figure out a different way to do this, kind of hedge their supply for battery cells. Um, So I'm curious, is that what you're reading too, or or how do you think about the relationship between them?
1: Yeah, so I think That came up, but um, I actually think that probably the bigger tension is Gigafactory 3 in Shanghai, right? So, you have all of this news coming out, but really, I think it's all negotiations uh, about Gigafactory 3. Tesla's not said anything really about who they're going to partner with. I think they're definitely going to include other people beyond Panasonic. Um, I think that's important for their business to have a diversity of suppliers, Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's themselves also trying to get into it somewhat with uh, mining as well or technology from Maxwell. Uh, but I really think a lot of it is this negotiation around uh, Gigafactory 3. You know, Tesla's probably going to need to have a local Chinese player hmm. who's going to be a provider because, you know, that's one of the big things in China is to have a domestic battery player um, be a part of it. So, you know, the big one there is CATL. Yeah, uh, but there are some others and uh, there's actually a report today saying that, you know, Beijing is allowing foreign battery manufacturers to start selling in China again. Um, wow. Right. So that's, well, I guess
0: Panasonic maybe could be involved. Right. There.
1: So then Panasonic could be involved there. So I think it's a pretty complex situation. Uh, and then I also think it goes to where the value accrues in the uh, battery supply chain. Right. So you have mm. the cells themselves, which are I would argue, are getting commoditized, right? It's kind of a race to the bottom as far as price. You know, there is some chemistry differences, um, but really I think the value accrues to who's making the battery pack. Uh, And so that's Tesla. Tesla's the one who's, you know, doing the active cooling, uh, is running the software, uh, and all of these things. And, you know, I think this is true for when you look at, like, the Chevy Bolt, It's like, this is an LG car. LG is making the battery pack. You know, that's like, is this your car and you're not making the engine, right? Then it's not, that's not your car. Um, So I think that's an important aspect. And then if you look even further down the line and you're saying over the air updates, you know, how are you gonna actually impact the performance of this vehicle? Um, You know, if you're not the one making the battery pack, uh, it's pretty hard to bring all of these disparate pieces together uh, and have the software work seamlessly. Uh, so I do think, you know, a, this battery pack layer is going to be very important for anyone who's, you know, building an electric vehicle for the future.
0: Fascinating. And it, it's when I was with Sandy Monroe yesterday or last week at lunch, we were talking about this and he was like, yeah, the the Bolt is 70% of the parts is all from LG. He, mm-hmm. he was verifying the same thing with Tesla. He said, like, at least 90% of everything is done in house. So it's just a total reversal of the how the supply chain actually works there, which is pretty incredible. All right, well, I guess we can get into Maxwell now because that's something that I've been researching a ton into, um, and I'm and I think the dry battery electrode technology, just to bring everybody up to speed a little bit, is this new way to basically build lithium-ion cells. Uh, vast, you don't need these drying ovens for because it's not a wet solvent; it's a dry solvent, uh, which means a vastly smaller footprint. Uh, also, at the same time, a more efficient cell that can last longer, that can be done for cheaper. So, sort of a, a little bit of a breakthrough there, uh, it seems like for me. And then I think we're going to get a lot more about this on the, the Tesla battery and powertrain investor day. But I'm sort of curious, you know, do you have any high level thoughts of why did Tesla buy Maxwell? Um, and what do you think they're going to do there?
1: Sure. So, I think, you know, one, Maxwell is a pretty cheap acquisition. It's like $220 million, I think, it was all stock as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm right. So the crazy thing is anyone could have bought this company. That, that was one of my questions right? is why did no one else? Right. No one else bought this company because no one else is building battery factories. Right. You look at really any other OEM, you know, do we want to spend 220 million dollars on this project that we're kind of doing just because, you know, we need to meet regulations for clean cars? Um, <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe not. But I think, you know, Tesla has the expertise, they have the experience, they've kind of seen how the sausage is made. Uh, and they see this as an area for, uh, I think, incremental improvement. I think that's the thing with battery technology is, you know, it's always incremental. Uh, it's it's very hard, not to say that there never will be a breakthrough, but, you know, history's kind of been full of promises and then broken promises for battery breakthroughs. And so, I think even with this dry electro technology, even if they just cut out, uh, you know, $5 per kilowatt hour off the cost, that's huge, right? Because you look at Tesla and let's say they make 500,000 cars, each one's 75 kilowatt hours, then you save $5 per kilowatt hour, you've just paid for that acquisition. Hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, this is part of their incremental approach to getting cheaper and cheaper battery cells
0: yeah and and that makes sense like the vertical integration really paid off because that's why the roi for built purchasing maxwell was accelerated because they had more cars to spread that kilowatt advantage across Mm -hmm. and i think the other part what you said about the the acquisition my kind of theory on that is like you're buying maxwell for 250 million which is a ticket to spend another couple billion or hundreds of millions on more capex to get to get vertically integrated so it's like a you're buying you're paying money to spend more money Mm -hmm. you know so i think that's part of like you're going to pitch that to the executive and tesla built up a for three quarters, my understanding is Tesla built up the machinery to actually build these cells, brought in their own chemistry, was testing them. And there was like a no solici- solicitation clause when the acquisition was done. So you're going to have to come in without doing any of that DD and write the check. And it was just too much and with only a couple weeks time. And that's why no one did. But um, I want to throw this like kind of conspiracy theory at you because so. The, the dry electro technology, uh, Maxwell's main business is ultra capacitors, mm-hmm. and they were using the same dry uh, manufacturing process to build the ultra caps. And there's a company called CRRC, China Railroad Co- Corporation, which was using their uh, ultra caps to do regenerative braking on these super high speed trains. They were super impressed by it. Or this is kind of how I'm reading in between the lines. But uh, an interesting tidbit, I was talking to a Maxwell shareholder is part of that production process was in this facility in Arizona where they were actually doing sort of the secret sauce of the I guess electrode or I'm a little out of my depth here but then shipping all of these ultra caps to China after doing the secret sauce part of the process in Arizona and they're super protective of it then a year later or even a couple months later China tries to put 50 million to Maxwell gets blocked by the center for C5 US and uh, then six months later Tesla buys them now building the Gigafactory in Shanghai where they could potentially export that technology that the government blocked or, or anyway so I hope this makes sense, but my kind of the crux of the issue here is my understanding is the secret sauce of this breakthrough, the dry battery electrode, is in how they make that electrode. So my big question is, do they just do that at Gigafactory 1 or are they going to take that secret sauce technology and move it to Gigafactory 3 Shanghai? Uh,
1: wow, that's a great question. Uh, I'd imagine that, you know, they're going to utilize the best technology at all of their factories. Um, Maybe it's something similar where they do something in the U.S. to try and protect intellectual property. Um, But I definitely, you know, we also talk about the ultra capacitors a lot as well, saying, you know, potentially for the next super roadster, Mm -hmm. uh, right? You could use them for insane acceleration, right? You know, we already have Musk saying there's going to be the SpaceX package or whatever that's going to use the the thrusters. Uh, But you could also use ultra capacitors in such a way that you have You know, this huge amount of power over a short amount of time uh, to drive acceleration. Hmm. Uh, But I do think, you know, Tesla wants the best product for all of their consumers. So they're going to distribute the technology where they can.
0: Yeah. And I also was thinking, what about the regenerative braking of the semi truck? Is that something where you because I've gotten a ton of comments on like mm-hmm. people flip flopping, like, is that used ultra caps or not? What do you have any guesses on that?
1: Um, yeah, I when you, when you were just describing it to me, I was like, oh, that would make sense for the uh, semi truck. Yeah, because really the biggest limit on regenerative braking is the power of the motors. Right. So you can only recap as much energy as the motor is when it's running in reverse. Right. So, you know, if the motor is not strong enough to and these trucks are huge and they're going downhill. So maybe you need something to capture that peak amount of energy um, to feed it back into the system. Hmm. So I think that's definitely a possibility.
0: Interesting. And uh, kind of, I guess taking a step back to get out of the weeds, I'm curious, uh, you know, I sort of like to be conservative in, in the valuation of Tesla and say, OK, we have this autonomy piece and potential. But let's just talk about the is BEV business alone? You know, what do you think is not even battery storage, but how do you see this evolving, you know, in the next five or 10 years, Model 3, Model Y, Semi? And and do you see upside in, in Tesla's share price just based on that BEV piece of the business?
1: Yeah. So at ARC, we've uh, put out our valuation. Uh, and even if you don't include the autonomous piece, we think that Tesla could double uh, just on its EV business alone. Uh, and so this is really driven just by... I mean, just to simplify it to its purest point is, you know, top line unit sales uh, and gross margin. Um, And so, you know, a lot of I don't know why, but throughout the history of Tesla, uh, kind of the bear thesis has jumped around when they can't when they can't produce cars. uh, The bear thesis is Tesla is never going to be able to scale. They don't have the expertise. So you know, it's a niche player. Then Tesla starts to scale production. And then the bear thesis shifts to there's no demand, right? Uh, and so that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, and I think you know, the numbers speak for themselves, saying that you know they are supply constrained. Musk has come out a number of times and said that. Uh, you look at their market share for the past, you know, since 2013, uh, their market share, global market share of the electric vehicle market, has stayed at 17%, which is crazy as the market's grown 11x. Wow. Right. So, you know, I think the data speaks for itself that they are supply constrained. Um, And then, you know, then the bear thesis jumps to, oh, they're going to run out of cash. They're not going to, you know, have the capital to produce these vehicles. Uh, In our uh, valuation framework, we actually have them raising $10 billion uh, from the equity markets to, you know, uh, scale production. Uh, so, you know, we're, that's kind of our framework and how we're thinking about Tesla just as an electric vehicle business.
0: And so when you do that 26 million, 2023, uh, how much, you know, what millions is Tesla, I guess this is probably in your model, but I'm just kind of curious of that back of the napkin, like is Tesla selling one and a half million of those basically. And you know, how much revenue does that translate to and how much like operating income?
1: Right. So the way that we think about it, so Tesla's had 17% market share mm-hmm. um, since 2013. And in our uh, lower side uh, guidance going forward, 2023, they lose two thirds of their market share. Wow. Um, so that'd be roughly 1.7 million uh, of that 26. Uh, so that's like a 6% market share. Okay. Right. So, you know, they come down to a, you know, normal automaker mm-hmm. type uh, market share um and then so then what was the follow-up question on that
0: uh i mean i guess i'm just kind of curious 1.7 million you could times it by some asp right. we're looking at like yeah 50, 100 billion right. 70 billion in revenue yeah so like that. so
1: we're assuming like a fifty thousand dollar um average selling price mm-hmm. uh you know then you're looking at you know what type of vehicles are in play at that time you probably have the s the x you have the three you have the y Um, And, you know, we don't even really account that much for the Tesla semi, but that will probably be in production as well. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, a lot of pushback that we've gotten on this is saying, okay, you know, 26 million, that's way too high of a number. One, we don't think so. You know, we think the forecasts have been wrong and are still wrong uh, on the conservative side. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you look at the market, I think, you know, you have to realize that it's dynamic. You know, this can take off and be a big pie, and Tesla has a small slice of it, um, or it can be a smaller pie, uh, and Tesla could have a much bigger slice of it. Uh, and so that's kind of what we've seen in the United States. Um, Tesla's share of the electric vehicle market in the U.S. in 2018, 80 percent. Right. So yeah. smaller, smaller overall pie, but a much larger slice. Um, you know, to be conservative, we're not assuming that. It's a huge pie and they get a big slice, Mm -hmm. right? We're assuming they lose two thirds of their market share.
0: Yeah. Um, And it's been incredible to watch that there's, you know, the Model 3, I think in May, outsold the Bolt like 10 to 1, but it's priced at like double the selling price. That's the number two non Tesla EV. So it's like Tesla, you know, we have EV market share rising here in the US. It's like single handedly driven by Tesla. So they're almost, uh, I don't know. I just think that's kind of an incredible fact when you look at it.
1: Right, right. And then I think, you know, the pickup. Oh, I didn't even mention the pickup. That could be huge. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm definitely excited to see what that's going to look like. Yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, so then I think, right, you got the SUV as well. Uh, and all of a sudden, this is like the biggest market for the cars. Model Y, you mean? Uh, yeah, exactly. The Model Y. Um, it's amazing the Model 3 has done so well. It's kind of like sucked the air out of the room and drawn air from other segments as well. Um, but then, you know, they come out with the SUV. This is kind of the bread and butter of the auto industry. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be really exciting to see how the Model Y does. Uh, and you know, you're going to get all of these people who didn't even look at the Model 3 because maybe that's the starting point of your decision process, right? Do I want an electric car? Maybe that's the start for a lot of people. Uh, I think for a lot of people, it's okay. Do I want a sedan? Do I want an SUV? Do I want a pickup truck? And now all of a sudden people who start that way now they have the Model Y to choose from mm-hmm and I, believe
0: me I'm super excited about the Model Y but one thing I kind of push back on and this has been I've seen this time and time again be a reason why people misunderstand Tesla's because they put it in this box of like the Model S is a luxury sedan no luxury sedan has captured more than 12% market share of the market so therefore even in the best case they'll capture 12% of this tiny market that's how we get to 10,000 unit sales a year it's capped mm-hmm. and they're like saying it like it's science but I think that the mindset of the Tesla, like people are only buying the cars because there's just these like really incremental iterations from automakers. When you have a huge new product disruption like the Model 3, it's going to change consumer preferences. It's going to change how the entire landscape looks. So I think just because CUVs are the best selling cars, to me, that's not indicative of really what consumers want. It's just what they want the most at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I think I kind of... my theory is that the Model 3 will do better than people expect because it was the only EV out there. And maybe the Model Y doesn't crush it relative to the CUV segment because that's less of the reason people are actually buying it. But um, the, anyway, that's just a little sidetrack. But the other thing I was, I was curious about when you're talking is the S and X refresh. Mm-hmm. Um, or this is kind of like a taboo subject because I've predict, been predicting it forever. And I still think it's like closer than ever. But do you have any thoughts on, on is that coming or?
1: Uh, it does sound like it's coming you know they made the incremental step with the motor uh using the model 3 motor now oh raven right exactly um and you know this is something that we've also been talking about a lot internally is it makes sense for the s and the x to switch over to the model 3 battery pack um Hmm. that makes a lot of sense from our perspective right like why not this would simplify a lot of your Production, you've optimized for the gigafactory. Um, you know, why not also convert these such that they can utilize that? You know, Musk has come out a number of times and said, you know, S and X are on the 18, uh, yeah, is that what you mean when you yeah. battery pack get yeah, the yeah. 2170 cells, right. right? Yeah, right. So, they uh, to us, it makes a lot of sense to switch over. Um, I also think that part of the refresh, and this is a, a tiny thing, and you know, this goes back to Tasha's work. Uh, is to have the interior camera in the S and the X. Oh yeah, it's like right above right yeah right because right now it's in the three mm-hmm. um, But if all of your cars are going to be autonomous, you want that in every single car. Um, mm. So I think that's like a small but important piece for, for Tesla to
0: insurance too maybe. So for Tesla insurance really interesting. Um,
1: right. And then they're also like the HVAC system.
0: You know, and I think the Model 3 touchscreen has like a different chip. I don't know if they're still using that. There's like a couple little things like that, where if I was like really geeking out on Tesla product specs, like "Eh, the Model 3 is better, even though it's cheaper. So that Mm. to me has really always bugged me about like, and I just feel like a refresh could ignite demand of 150,000 units a year. Like this is their cash cow business really improve the cash flow profile of of Tesla significantly. So that's kind of why I've been so excited about it.
1: Right. Um, and then there's also the speculation that they move them uh, to the same line, right, uh, to the same production line. So they free up space in Fremont for the Y.
0: Wow. So S and X are already on a combined line, but you're saying make
1: it even like the same line as the three, potentially? Uh, I don't think the same line as the three. I think right now there's still some separate parts of it um, at Fremont. and I think they're going to try and consolidate it further, Oh, gotcha, uh, gotcha. such to free up space.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And um, one thing that you mentioned about like this cost curve of EVs, right? Tesla selling however many millions. What do you think about the Model 2? Are I, the Model 2 to me is the car Elon Musk mentioned most in depth, I believe, on the MKBHD interview about a uh, $25,000 car. Basically, you know, what the Model 3 was to the Model S, but let's compact it and make it even cheaper with the next iteration mm-hmm. of battery tech, 2022, 2025 Do you think about that much? or?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I think that would be a killer killer car right then forget it right that's the car where it's sticker price cheaper yep game over really <laughs> right you get the halo car with the roadster and then you hit the mass market uh-huh. um so you know something like that would be great because originally musk had come out and said model three is the cheapest car we're going to make and i think depending on what happens with autonomous yeah uh, that might be true and that could determine whether or not the Model 2 ever gets made.
0: Really? Yeah, I think it's great you mentioned that because that's like the trade off. Like, is it does it make sense or is everything going autonomous? And mm-hmm. um, really interesting. And what, one thing I wanted to switch on or switch to is the peaker plants, yeah. uh, sort of battery uh, power wall side of the business, because this is something you just put out a note on, which I thought was great. And one thing at the shareholder meeting that I took away was Drew, the new guy working with JB Straubel on the tech side, was like, okay, it's great that we validate electric vehicles. We're all clapping, but. What nobody's really talking about is we validated the same technology for the peaker plants for the grid applications. Mm-hmm. This is the other beast of Tesla's business that's kind of brewing in the background. Once again, it's battery cell production probably constraining it. But um, you know, wh- wh- what do you think about the, the Powerwall business and the opportunity there?
1: Right. So I think there's uh, the cut between Powerwall uh, and then the utility scale, right? Um, so I oh, think Powerwall, Powerpack, yeah, right, I was yeah, here. yeah. Um, and so the Powerwall residential. Um, You know, I think it's interesting and it's growing. Um, But I think you've already seen Tesla's priority is, you know, they've shifted packs that were going to go to them, use them for vehicles. Uh, So I think their priority is the auto business. Hmm. Uh, And that's, you know, when we're looking at the valuation, we're focusing on this. Although, you know, the energy storage business could be a great tailwind. Uh, The utility side, I think, is particularly interesting uh, because If you look at, you know, peaker plants, um, what these are is, you know, summer day, it's hot. We all go home and we turn on our air conditioning at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you turn on these peaker plants uh, and maybe they run for, you know, two days a year. Right. So, you know, we need to have them. Otherwise, there'd be rolling blackouts. uh, But, you know, it's a lot of money for a low utilization plant. Uh, And so, you know, all of a sudden you're like, well, why not use this battery? You know, you can do load leveling during the day so that, you know, you charge it at night when electricity costs are low, Uh, you discharge it during those peak times. You can use it daily instead of, you know, twice a year. It responds instantaneously or nearly instantaneously as opposed to having to be spun up. Um, And so the news that just came out was GE is shutting down a peaker plant um natural gas plant 20 years early wow right so this is crazy you know why shut down a plant 20 years early because it's not uh economic to keep it running right so it's actually cheaper to shut down this plant than to keep it running uh and interestingly they're selling it to a company that i think is going to use it for energy storage Wow. And, um, but yeah. w-
0: and one thing you didn't even mention there is th- the batteries, instead of bringing up a really dirty power source online that you didn't even have to have if you had stored the energy you're previously wasting in a battery. Mm-hmm. So just this is, that's what gets me so sort of excited. I'm like, why do we have these extra power plants that are like, um, you know, natural gas that we don't need to burn that we're burning? Like that seems really inefficient and bad for just the carbon output situation.
1: Right. I mean, th- but then, you know, regardless of the power pack, um, it has to get charged somehow. So it could be renewable or it could be natural gas uh, or whatever, you know, is being used to produce electricity. Uh, I think that's a good point you bring up, though, is because, you know, that's another argument against EVs. Oh, they're dirtier because, you know, coal is being used to produce the electricity. Um, All you have to do is look at the trend and you see that overall grids are getting much cleaner. Uh, So it's, you know, kind of ridiculous to look at and say, oh, it's always going to be like this right? It's actually changing pretty rapidly uh, towards cleaner. Um, yeah. So I think that's an important piece of information to have.
0: Totally. And even beyond the feel good green part, which is, gets me excited, but that's not what's moving the industry, is it's these, these batteries are now becoming economical because of that rights law. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had now that inflection point is starting to pass where the lower, most lowly utilized peaker plants are getting, you know, actually is an ROI to be like, let's just build a battery. And that was hugely validated with the Australia project that Tesla had their biggest one in the world at the time, 129 megawatt hours. And then in your note, you mentioned the about two gigawatt hours between two projects that PG&E did um, and that Te- Elon Musk has mentioned. So that's like these are real world applications of this really being validated. So um, how big is that opportunity for Tesla and just you know, this peaker plant thing as it kind of evolves?
1: Um, so we think the total addressable market for uh, utility energy storage is about 800 billion. Um, So it's pretty big, Uh, you know, not as big as the auto or definitely not as big as the uh, autonomous opportunity, uh, but definitely sizable. Uh, And, you know, Tesla's mentioned it before. You know, this is ramping quickly for them. Uh, They think energy storage sales are going to be twice what they were, if not three times what they were last year. Um, And then I also think this just speaks to the battery technology is, you know, no one thought you could have a battery this big. Right. Go back again. You go back, you know, five years. If you would have said we're going to have a gigawatt hour battery, people would have said, what are you talking about? Right. Like this is impossible. There's way too much uh, complications. Hmm. But, you know, here we are. The project in Australia has been tremendously successful.
0: And it it, it excites me because it feels like we've gone zero to one, you Mm -hmm. know, and now it's just one to N about scaling the cell production. And so that's kind of why I'm excited about it, because you don't see it on the financials anywhere. Nobody's talking about it. But the hard part of validating the technology that it works and convincing big companies like PG&E has been done.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think
0: that's kind of one of this big theme I see with Tesla, I'm like also what they're doing with the Shanghai Gigafactory, Model 3 production line 2.0, way less capex. The financial rewards from all of their technologies and R&D were just so far away from realizing it on the financial in- and income statement, cash flow statement. So that's why i just feel like you're looking in the rearview mirror if you're reading the financials not looking at the kind of technology uh sign so I'm, I, I don't know i'm curious if do you have any thoughts on that this disconnect seemingly between the media and you know you're, you're nodding your head so yeah
1: yeah no i think there's a big disconnect um but then i also think there's a disconnect between us and the rest of the country you know you and i are in the tesla bubble uh <laughs> if you will yeah right like i go on twitter and i see tesla uh bulls and bears nonstop. You know, I talk to everyone and they know what Tesla is. But, you know, I travel um, and I mention Tesla and people have so little information. Um, And it's like it it always blows my mind. It's just like, oh, wow, it's like this is my job. I talk about this nonstop. Um, But I think, you know, the information still needs to spread uh, to a lot of people. And a lot of people still just read that one or two Uh, you know, posts in the media and they're like, oh, are these cars dangerous? They're catching on fire. And you're like, no, you know, they're actually less likely to catch on fire than a gas powered car. Uh, So I still think there's this huge disconnect between, you know, what you and I see and, you know, what the mass public sees uh, and then also what, you know, Wall Street sees. Uh, So I think it's pretty, pretty fragmented as far as the picture people paint of Tesla in their mind
0: yeah the car fire one's really funny to me because my roommate i don't want to throw leo under the bus here but he was talking about the tesla fires and like other cars don't catch on fire. And then I'm like, dude, Google it. And then we Google it and it's like BMW is recalling all these cars. And it's like so if you just do like one second of research, you see how different the actual like reality is from the perception and the narrative, which is -hmm. is crazy to me. So I guess I kind of was wondering, you know, we're so bullish on Tesla and excited. What where does this go wrong? Where where could you where when would arc start to change its thesis? You know, what leading indicators are you looking at to say "Eh, now we're less bullish?
1: Uh, So I think that's a great question. Um you know demand is important obviously you have to be able to sell the cars mm-hmm. um and you know this also gets into competition um but we actually think competition at this point is a good thing like we the biggest surprise to us i would say is how little competition there is like we would have expected there to be more competition at this point uh and right you know people say oh Porsche comes out with the uh, Taycan and it's gonna destroy demand for the S and the X. Uh, But you know, the way that we look at it is like, if Porsche or Audi uh, or Jaguar is selling an electric vehicle, they need to convince their customer, their lifelong Porsche, Jaguar, Audi customer, that electric is better than gas, right? Like that's how you make that sale. Mm -hmm. And that's great. That's great for the EV industry as a whole. It's also great for tesla once someone's decided to go electric then their next car they're gonna be comparing electric vehicles uh and you know we think tesla can stand on their own from that front Uh, i think scaling uh battery production is a risk for not just tesla uh, but the industry as a whole Mm -hmm. right so i think one of the biggest risks to our uh, ev forecast that 26 million is the supply side of it right? Um, How quickly can you scale these factories? Uh, and, you know, when we were originally doing the research, we're like, okay, uh, you probably need three years between announcement and first cars rolling off. Um, but, you know, the Shanghai 3 is kind of throwing that a little bit into the wind. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. This has gone up, I think, faster than uh, most people have anticipated. Uh, obviously, We can say that for sure once a car comes off the line, uh, because you never know. Uh, But at this rate, it looks like it could be one year, uh, which is pretty remarkable. But yeah, I think that's probably the biggest threat is scaling up the battery supply.
0: And who do you think would be a threat? Because I've been, you know, like you said, nobody's investing in the battery production, putting their money where their mouth is. So I'm kind of like I don't really see. You know, I'm trying to figure out. I, I'm very impressed with Rivian, what mm-hmm. they're doing, but it's I don't really see them as a threat to Tesla for a while. Uh, Volkswagen seems to have woken up and put be putting a ton of money. Who who are you? Uh, what, you know, is it Neo? Someone in China? Who, who do you think could be a threat?
1: Um, yeah, so I think in China. So one with Neo, we've heard uh, some mixed quality issues on the uh, battery packs there. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think necessarily uh, Neo, um, and I think as you said. You know, near term, it's not really anyone. You know, Tesla's ahead, we think three years ahead on battery technology, autonomous and autonomous hardware and autonomous data collection. Um, I think longer term down the road, you will have people catch up, uh, you know, but it's kind of like any industry. It's like you look at the iPhone, you know, people eventually caught up, but you still have one company that's, you know, clearly. Uh, market leader Mm -hmm. um and so you know vw is one i think you know in china you have baic and byd um, who are actively going after it and you know know the local market obviously china likes local players as well um right that's another risk potential for tesla is you know china's a very difficult market for a non-local to be in Mm -hmm. um So, you know, that's something that we take into account and, you know, would evaluate very closely on how that's how that's actually uh, working out for them.
0: Yeah, I feel like people don't aren't aren't appreciating how different this situation with China is for Tesla. It's the first wholly owned factory by a foreign company. Uh, I saw like not only are they helping finance it, but they just offered this like zero percent interest rate for 60 months from the Pudong Bank. They're sort of really pushing it to make it very, very successful, which is I've never seen anything like this.
1: Yep. And I think it really speaks to um, how serious China is about electric vehicles, um, right? If you're going to be a leader and this is, you know, we were speaking uh, to a company in China and it's like China ha- is a technological world leader. I think you really can't deny that anymore. Uh, you know, the you look at their AI research, their right there with the United States, you look at what they're doing uh, with, you know, pretty much everything. But then you look at the auto industry and it's like, this is an area that they have not cracked. Right. Hmm. They have not been able to export cars globally. Um, and that's something that they want to do. They want to be a global leader in all technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, how do you do that? And I think they are right. right? They're focusing on the future, which is electric. Um And so I think their grand ambition would be to become an exporter of vehicles, Uh, whether or not that happens, you know, still very much up in the air. But I think that's really a big part of what's driving them to be so ambitious with electric.
0: Yeah. And it's I'm so glad you mentioned that, that they want to be an exporter of vehicles, because I think that just sums up through the lens of like exactly how you need to be look. Why are they pushing so hard? Why do they want so many EV companies like it it just makes so so much sense? So, okay, last question, kind of a weird moonshot that I have, but I think very important to arcs thesis um, is that China, when I I went there or we went there actually with Kevin and like what we noticed is what I thought was so crazy is their green license plates versus blue license plates. So. You can the green ones, EVs have green ones, um, and that's just like one of the incentives. You can get your license plate easier. There's no fees like the government is adding up between ten or fifteen thousand dollars of incentives per EV. And I think these are going down or maybe winding down. But um, that's just an example of like Paris is is banning ice car or France is banning ice cars. Spain, all these countries, every single country, it seems like except for the US. So. I guess my point is, it seems like the pendulum here, and I don't want to get political because but I'm just trying to be analytical about the political situation, which is the pendulum has swung to we want to give basically zero incentives to EVs once the $200,000 tax credit runs out. It's just a free market. But I think what I'm seeing geopolitically across the world is and I think it's just education. People are waking up to the fact there's a positive ROI for governments and taxpayers to make over the long term to subsidize EVs and accelerate this adoption. And I think if if a Democrat gets elected or someone that's more in favor with that ideology in the US government, the pendulum swings back, we could have a huge new sort of regulatory catalyst for the electric vehicle space, um, which I think makes perfect sense to me. Do you have you thought about that? Is that because that to me could provide a huge tailwind for your 26 million number or
1: at least in the US piece of it? Yeah. So one of the things that we do in all of our modeling is we exclude subsidies completely um, kind of for the exact reason that you said is. You know, these things can change extraordinarily rapidly, Mm -hmm. right? One decision and then, you know, cut subsidies, create subsidies. Uh, You know, politics are very hard to predict, I think, as we've we've all seen. Uh, (laughs) So that's that's not what we try and predict. We just try and predict using uh, technological cost declines, which are, you know, very robust unit economics. Uh, And so that's really what's uh, driving our forecast you know, it's possible that you get certain political swings, uh, that could either help or hurt. Uh, but we really try and be agnostic to that, uh, because, you know, we stick to the things that we think are our core competence, core competency with, uh, actually forecasting. Um, but you know, I do think it's, you know, you mentioned subsidies. I think this has been a huge mental barrier, uh, to forecasting agencies, uh, around the world with electric vehicles, because the whole demand argument still kind of hangs up on that point is saying, oh, EVs are still subsidized. What happens when it goes away? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, okay, but how about we just look at the fact that, you know, subsidies were cut in half and Tesla absorbed that cost and pretty much maintained its margins? Yeah. Right. It's like, how does that happen? Yeah. Like, what happened? Oh, well, they were able to make cars cheaper. Um and, you know then they're going to get rid of the final subsidy and you know costs are still going to come down because that's how technology works right for the most part you know costs continue to come down uh and then eventually you know there's nothing left to say oh this is why evs are going to be in niche technology
0: Mm-hmm. And I love that philosophy of we don't want to rely on subsidies for it to win. And like I've held that very strong belief with Tesla, like they need to be competing with ICE cars with no subsidies if this is a real, legitimate, huge business. But the thing that I keep getting hung up on is if we're accurately pricing the negative externalities of the, the life cycle of an ICE vehicle versus an EV vehicle, then we sh- sh- it's not being accurately priced. So I don't know if they're going to follow the science eventually or price that in, but I actually think Tesla has a headwind against it. Um, that is not being accurately priced in because of this. So anyway, I just think it's an interesting kind of thought exercise.
1: Yeah, I think there's yeah, there's tons of externalities that are not being priced appropriately. I think
0: yeah definitely yeah Yeah. um but anyway on that note thank you so much for coming on the podcast i had so much fun uh talking about tesla um sam from arc if you have any shout outs or i'll I'll put the link right here so people can follow you on twitter um but yeah thank you so much
1: yeah it's great being here uh definitely reach out on twitter we're happy to answer questions love to uh you know get insightful feedback or anything anything great out there so uh look forward to uh coming back and doing another one after battery day
0: yeah definitely definitely all right thank you so much peace
1: see ya